Welcome to the ANA Podcast, Sports Talk with your hosts, Anthony Cortez, Alex Ashley, and Kevin Rowe. It's the ANA Sports Show. Welcome back, episode tw- episode 127, sorry, part three. Hi, Anthony Cortez, and I'm joined alongside my two good friends and co-hosts, Mr. Alex Ashley. What's up, everybody? And Mr. Kevin Rowe. What up, what up? Part three of another week here, and we're going to do something a little different. And also fun called the doctor is in this was alex's idea so i'm going to let him break it down for what's going to happen to what's going to happen for our listeners so alex what exactly do you have in mind when you say the doctor is in yeah so we all have favorite sports teams and if you're anything like me you seem to pick every losing sports team to be your favorite for whatever reason uh you know falcons rangers these kinds of things uh rapids so what we're going to do is we're going to play a game called the doctors and what each of us are going to do is we're going to pick a team individual teams and we're going to pitch a case to the other two basically saying here's what the issue is here's how you fix it now and here's how you fix it long term and then we're going to kind of come up with the best best plan possible between that so for example uh, i will be talking about soccer in the united states i will say here's what's wrong with it here's why it's wrong and here's what we need to do to fix it both now and later uh and then from there you guys that you will pitch in i like this idea i don't like this idea we'll come up with a plan to fix soccer and then we're definitely going to send these off to the governing bodies of all of these all of these things that we're talking about because we obviously have the answers oh there uh, will be a, there will be a letter written for all there of you will be in yeah. probably all caps let's be honest yeah, pro- Probably all caps and yeah. in, in letterhead. So, oh yeah, yeah, from the yeah. office of ANA Sports Show. This is serious. Situation. This is very serious stuff. This is, this is not so, a joking matter. Uh, our first doctor is going to be Dr. Kevin Rowe. Uh, he studied uh, at the University of Northwestern's back alley. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Doc, tell us what's going on with your patient. Oh, my patient is the Houston Astros. Now, they finished the 2020 year with a sub-500 record for the first time in about five years, I think it was. Uh, But they still ended up a game away from the World Series. Their biggest issue this year, the reason they they had their regression, a lot of it could say is, okay, they weren't cheating. Okay, well, that's not all of it. That can't be all of it. A lot of it was injuries. You had Justin Verlander made one start this year, then had to end up going on Tommy John surgery. Uh, Roberto Ozuna, who led the league in saves last year, uh, out, in, uh, elbow injury as well. You had several players opt out of the season, a lot of players injured throughout the season. You had 10 rookies make their major league debuts this year. 14 rookies overall, all of them pitchers. Uh, They had a lot of youth come up into the major leagues, but their biggest issue is that youth isn't top-tier level prospects. So I got two scenarios that the Astros can fix themselves. One is for a short-term game. The other is for a long-term game. So I'll start with short-term. Short-term, they need to get a closer. They need to get at least two outfielders, and they need to get – one starting pitcher because you don't have Justin Verlander in 2021. You have Zach Greinke on the last year of his deal. Lance McCullers on the last year of his deal. You have Carlos Correa on the last year of his deal. 
Um, and in the outfield, you have Kyle Tucker. That's it. You lost Springer to free agency. You've lost Brantley to free agency, and you got rid of Reddick. Um, they can potentially sign one of those two in the outfield. I think it's going to be Brantley. Springer's probably going to go to the Mets, or the Blue Jays seem to be the two favorite teams right now for Springer. If they can sign Brantley back to one of the corner outfield spots, you got Brantley in left, you got uh, Tucker in right, Sign maybe a Michael Brad, uh, not a Michael Bradley, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., or even bring back Jake Marisnik. Get you some defense in your center field. You're going to lose that offensive bat, but you got plenty of offense in that lineup because Altuve, he sucked this year. He's not going to be that bad again. I don't know what happened to him this year. He's very sensitive guy, is what I hear. So a lot of this. Scandal thing got to him. I think after a year, I think he's going to come back stronger next year. Um, if you got Zach Grinke and Lance McCullers leading your rotation, you got uh, Urquidy, you have um, Framber Valdez. Both of those took step forwards this year. Uh, Christian Javier took a step forward this year, but you need some depth in that rotation. You need a, a veteran back end of the rotation type of guy that maybe has had some down years, but has potential to get back up there. Maybe like get a Corey Kluber. He's had a couple of bad years this past couple of years. He's a free agent. Why not? Or maybe a Felix Hernandez, somebody with maybe something still in the tank that the Astros pitching coaches can tap into like they did with Charlie Morton and maybe get something out of him. If we're looking at long-term, the Astros need to break it down. They need to start trading some of their pieces, get some draft prospects, because they have one of the worst uh, minor league systems in baseball now. They've traded a lot of their their blue-chip prospects for pitching, a la Verlander, Granke, uh, Ozuna. They have traded a lot of good players in their minor league systems for older talent that is getting at the end of the prime or – have expiring contracts. So they need to build up their minor league system and get those core players from within again. Start trading away some of your pieces. I don't think Bergman's going anywhere or Altuve, but you can trade um, Gurriel. You can trade Correa. You can trade McCullers. You can trade some pieces and get some more back. So it's all going to depend on what the Astros want to do. Since they got to within one game of the World Series, they're going to go for it again, I think, this year. They're going to build up. But I don't think they're that far away from a rebuild again. I just have one quick comment. Um, isn't it crazy how, not literally, but you just got done going through a rebuild, and now you're suggesting go through another one. Yeah, that's the problem with it, too, because when you go through that rebuild, you get all those young players up there, and they're cost-controllable, they're cheap, they're easy to manage your payroll with. But after we traded all those prospects for for all those veterans who were paying $30, $40 million a year for, uh, you're looking at Tuve, you're looking at Grinke, and you're looking at Verlander take up about $120 million of their payroll per year. And that's 
when you have a, a not a cap, but a luxury tax threshold of about two hundred and ten million. You're not leaving a lot of room for the rest of your players. So once those young players make it up to the major leagues and they start getting these big contracts, you don't have the payroll to keep them anymore. So you start losing piece after piece after piece, and then you're one piece away from making it to the World, uh, World Series, two pieces away, three pieces away. At some point, you just need to tear it down and start it again. Astros are right at that point. Alex, any questions or not questions, but comment? So I'm thinking about it, and I agree with some of the stuff you said. I think the best short-term solution is really just reload the outfield and get a closer. You don't really need pitchers right now because the thing is, it's like you said, you had so many kids come up from the minors, and they played pretty well. You have a lot of guys right now who are going to be just fine, and with those guys who had no experience, like you said, one game away, from the World Series, right? So I don't even think you need to touch your your your, your starting rotation and most of your, your bullpen except for getting one um, reliever, right? I think the big thing is just reloading that offense, especially with offensive talent. Or reloading the offense, reloading the outfield, especially with offensive talent. Because we can almost guarantee that Bregman is going to be an, an, like a, a, a core in that offense, again, he did great at the end of the year. He's going to pick it up again. Uh, sure, you lost uh, Springer, but you have you have Correa still, you said? So, yeah, yeah you have Correa. He's going to step back up. Altuve's not going to be that bad twice. Uh, you know, you're going to get some production from your first base, and you're going to get some, some production from the catcher, depending on who it is. But really, if you can kind of upgrade that outfield, you could probably win now. You can get close to if not the same spot as you were now and every one of those new guys has uh, uh, that much experience, that much more experience than they did last year. So I don't think you need to do as much as you think you need to do if you're trying to win right now. Especially because you have Verlander coming back the year afterwards. So even if you don't win next year... Potentially. His contract's contract's up after 21. I imagine they're going to... I imagine they're probably going to want to keep him. I don't really see them letting him go. You know what I mean? Unless y'all play terrible next year. If it turns out terrible next year, they'll probably release him and start trying to trade away everything else and rebuild completely. Because what is it? I think it's like, what, every seven years you need to do a rebuild or something like that, right? And they've gone through four of them already. So you're be about the time where you need to go through a rebuild. Uh, so I think probably best case for the Astros is just rebuild now, actually, the I think about it. Start now. Don't win next year. Don't win the year after. Don't even worry about it. Trade away everything. Give it to some guys who are closer to it now. Get some great prospects. Build up that minor league like crazy over the next three years. Get some good draft picks. And then go on another three World Series in a four-year run. I will debunk you on one thing about the pitching staff. That's five starters. They don't have anybody else for depth for their starting pitching. Uh, and you got to remember, McCullers came back off of this Tommy John surgery, missed some time this year. Uh, Urquidy missed some time this year. Uh, Granke is older. Uh, there's chances that he could get injured easily and miss some time as well. Um, so, you need some depth in that starting pitching area, and they don't have the depth in their minor leagues 
to back, back up. up in case somebody gets hurt because they've already pulled them all up. That's who we saw last year. They don't have the yep, depth in the minor system, system to replenish if somebody gets hurt. So they need one or two guys at the back of the bullpen or back of that rotation just in case somebody gets injured. But the game is moving away from true starters and into bullpen situations. You see games where you have bullpen guys starting. You don't necessarily need a fourth, fifth starter. If you have three solid starters, that gets you through most series. That gets you to the playoffs. And then after that, all you need is a couple of good if you get like, you know, I hate to say it, but like a Joe Kelly or somebody like that, right? I'm not saying get him per se, but somebody who can kind of start or close or pitch in the middle, somebody really versatile like that, right? If you get like a guy or two, somebody who can start if they have to. Uh, didn't James start a few games? Josh James did, but he was injured off and on throughout the year as well. Sure, but, you know, supposedly that, that didn't happen again, but you get guys like that. And when you did, he was inconsistent. <laughs> Right. But you go more towards bullpen games, especially if you're rebuilding already, because that's the way the majors is going in the first place. So you don't necessarily have to get those starting guys if you don't want to. And even then, like I said, in two years, if you trade everybody away, get a ton of prospects, you re-sign Justin Verlander, you keep an aging Grinky. That's still a pretty good starting lineup, or a pretty good rotation, especially if you have good middle reliever starters. You know what I mean? Real quick, before we have to move on to the next doctor, is Springer, like, gone, gone? Like, is he just opted out of, of re-signing, or what's the situation with Springer? He's a free agent. Technically, the Astros could still sign him, but it doesn't look like they're going to be able to afford him. Uh, the Mets and the Blue Jays have come out as the favorites to sign him right now. Gotcha. Okay. Somebody call JD. <laughs> right? And as far as your bullpen scenario with the Astros – at one point during the season, they had one person in their bullpen that was not a rookie, uh, and that was uh, Presley. Mm-hmm. And the biggest issue with that is, again, you pulled up all these rookies from the minor leagues. You don't have any depth to back them up. So if you have to move them to a starting role or if you have to have that extra arm in the bullpen for a bullpen game, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. And three or it was like three or four of those guys in that bullpen Hadn't pitched above double A before last season. Not a single inning. And there are a couple of them that hadn't pitched above A ball. Mm-hmm. So the Astros don't have the depth that they need at pitching right now. They need some inning eats, eat, innings eaters. So even if you get that back end of the rotation guy, even if you don't put him in the rotation, then at least you have a long guy to put in your, in your bullpen. Yes, they need a closer. They do need a closer. Uh, Presley did okay in that position last year, but he's more of a late inning setup guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you need an innings eater in that bullpen or back into that rotation. That's where they need to find. I would say like Corey Kluber would be a great pickup for them. You can't have him if he can stay healthy. You can't have him again. You, you, you don't, don't want him again. again. Yeah, I think they need a restart now. You know, I think you probably should just blow up and restart now. I agree, I agree with you, but I don't think they're going to. because Two reasons. One, because they were one win from the World Series. Mm-hmm. And two, because you're bringing Dusty Baker back and you're going to have more respect for that guy than trying to say, hey, we're going to start rebuilding with you on your last year of your contract. They're not going to do that to him. Next doctor's up. I'm not going to need that. I don't, I'm not going to need that much time. So, Alex, go ahead. Next doctor. No, no, after you. Go ahead. So, this doctor, Dr. Cortez, printed his degree off of uh, Microsoft Word after copying it. Uh, from the internet. So Dr. Cortez 
What you got? Hey, don't hate me, man. Uh, mine's pretty simple. I think that the college football playoff system is um, no talking shit on mute. No ticket. Hey, a degree counts. <laughs> no, we're not talking shit. It's not about how he's like, we can go all this hour. I said you don't like the whole lap hour on the Astros, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I had to stop you, Kev. I'm sorry, but I had to stop you. Um, my, so, <laughs> my prognosis is on the prognosis, whatever it would be, uh, is on the college football playoff and how I think it's, I'm not going to say broken, but it could be fixed in my opinion. I just think having a top four and only limiting it to a top four is, is kind of unfair. Um, I think you need to expand it. What you need to do in the long term to, to fix it, obviously expand it. But in the short term, hey, let's try like in maybe next year, maybe in two years. Let's try expanding it to six and see – or not six, eight and see how that works. Go to, the, go to the Power Five conferences. Go to each Power Five conference. Winners from those conferences, and then you do three at-large bids, whatever, you know, three at-large, you know, wild card bids, you know, at-large, whatever you want to call them. And let's just see how that works. Because I think going to four and only limiting it to four is, like I said, pretty unfair. I don't want to be repetitive. But it gets also really predictable when you have Alabama and everybody else because it's basically Alabama and then your next three. And it just it gets boring. I was texting Alex, you know, the other day watching the um, watching the SEC championship, and as, you know, of course, Bama wins it because of course. And even Alex was saying, yeah, they have like four deep. They're like four deep at each position. They needed they need scholarships taken away. Um, so short term, let's just try going to eight. See how that works. I mean, because it's just unfair it, at this point. If it's only four teams, somebody's going to get left out that deserves a shot. And it's just, I mean, is that fair? Is that fair to the UCFs? And I know Alex has his case with, oh, I don't believe this strength of schedule and all that, but my point is and always will be, regardless of who they you know, play, if they've at least earned the shot to, to, to prove that you know this 11-0 record means something or this 9-0 record, whatever it is, undefeated record means something, let them go ahead and prove it. If they go ahead and get blown out or if they go ahead and at least compete in a, in a semifinal game against an Alabama, a Clemson, whoever it is, they've earned that right. That's all I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, short term, let's expand it to eight. Long term, Alex actually had a, had, a, had a good idea for expanding it to the top 24 and the top eight would have a bye the first round. And you could just use bowl games as your playoff games. Um, I'd like to hear more about that, but that's going to be for another episode. But um, but yeah, I just think the college football playoff could be um, could be fixed in some way. And I am no way saying this as a UTSA alma mater, as a UTSA alumni, saying that you know my my alma mater could potentially get in a playoff because you know I'm realistic. I I know that I'm probably not going to see it in my lifetime, but I just think it could be more fair. That's all. I think the college football playoff could be more fair, and it's really not fair, and it's pretty predictable if you have Alabama in it every year, and everybody knows Alabama is going to win it. Yeah, see, we were talking about this earlier in the week, and I agree with this uh, this plan 100%. And not only for the fact that we're getting every conference of the – every one of the top uh, Power Five conferences involved, because right now if you're taking 
Pac-12 champion Oregon versus SEC champion Alabama. Yeah, Alabama's going to win. But if you are guaranteeing a spot for that conference champion in the semifinals every year, I think what it also opens up to is more parity because more recruits will go to some of these other schools in other conferences like the Big 12, like the Pac-12, to get more exposure because, okay, if I get on this in and this school at the uh, Pac-12 and we win the conference championship, we're in a New Year's Six Bowl. We're in a sim- in one of the games for the national championship. We have a chance to win the national championship. Um, so I think you're going to get to see better recruits going to these other schools and other conferences, not just the SEC, and create more parity. Um, and I think that so, yeah, I agree with your take on this 100%, Anthony. I think that is one of the biggest ways to fix college football and create more parity is to create a more even field by expanding it to at least eight. Okay, so <laughs> here comes bad news, Ben. Um, so a couple things with going to eight. Do I agree we need to expand it? Absolutely. But we need to expand it to 24 and not eight. You either need to go all the way or not at all. Because by your concept, right, here's going to be your top eight. Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Oregon, OU, A&M, Notre Dame, and then either Florida or Cincinnati, right? The thing for Florida would be that Florida plays in several divisions. Cincinnati won their conference, but it's the AAC, right? So that's kind of up to the judges to decide. But that's all of your Power 5 conference winners and then your top guys after that. Notre Dame is an independence. A&M is that whole, well, there's only one loss. Florida has two. And then Florida is ranked seventh, and they play in a tougher conference in Cincinnati. So all of the guys that we talk about already are going to be in there. That doesn't change anything. So then we see Alabama beat up on A&M again, or we see them beat up on Oregon again, which, by the way, if you're looking at it based off of your rankings, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven or eight, and then 25th ranked Oregon. So you're going to sit here and tell me it's more fair, even though Iowa State has a better record, Coastal Carolina has a better record, North Carolina – Northwestern, Iowa, BYU, USC, Miami, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma State, San Jose State, NC State, and Tulsa all have better records than the 25th, 25th ranked Oregon, and they're going to make it in? It doesn't work anyway. And then you have to like go by who's deciding, the, the selection committee. And I'm going to tell you right now, they're not picking Cincinnati over Florida. Right? Because if you do it based off of your like ranking, I guess, is how they would do it now, one, two, three, four. You would have Alabama and Cincinnati or Florida. And Alabama already beat Florida. And then you would have Clemson and OU. We've seen that happen in the playoffs already, and we all know the outcome of that one. You'd have Ohio State and Notre Dame. That might be a good game, but always those closer ones are pretty good, right? You would then have OU and A&M, classic rivalry. Maybe we'll see what happens in there. And then you have your Oregon game somewhere in there. Uh, that's not, I don't even know how they would rank that out. It doesn't create any more parity because it's only these power conferences in the first place. Cincinnati's only up there because not everybody got to play as much as they would have in the first place, right? This is the odd man out season. 
So there's no parity. You're still going to see multiple SEC teams. You're still going to see one, maybe two Big 12 teams at best. You're going to see one, maybe two Pac-12 teams. Because in all actuality, there isn't a lot of parity amongst the conferences. It's SEC, Big 10, and then kind of everybody else. And then maybe you'll have your Notre Dame who sneaks in there as an independent. But you do, you got, agree, expand, you do agree expanded in general. Yes, so, but you need to expand it to 24 like the FCS does. Not the BC or the, the FBS. You need to go to 24 with your top eight having uh, having a bye week. So you have yeah, one through eight, and you do it based off your ranking because then it doesn't matter, you know, if somebody else won their conference but only had to play two games and didn't even make it on their own merit, maybe because somebody else was too sick to go, right? It's how many games you won, how well you did. Now you have all these small schools. Now you have Cincinnati. Indiana, Coastal Carolina, North Carolina, Northwestern, BYU, Louisiana, uh, San Jose State, NC State, Tulsa, all of those teams who would usually never make it into a conference championship or a, 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 a playoff position can actually make it into the, into the playoffs where they can actually continue playing games. You expand it to eight, you're going to see the exact same thing and nobody's going to give a shit because it's the same problem all over again. You have the I same think, teams playing. I don't think you're going to see the same problem. But you were going to see the same problem. I would ask you to look at who's one through 10 in the past five years and tell me there's not like two to three, maybe even four SEC teams, two to three to four Ohio State, Big Tens. It's the same thing over and over. Regardless, you need to expand it. And the you're going thing to that will help it and it fix it a little bit is the fact that you are guaranteeing a spot for those conference championships in those power five conferences, because the biggest art, one of the biggest arguments right now is why is Ohio state in there and not Texas A&M? You know, that was one of the biggest arguments coming into this past weekend was a five win Ohio state who had to have the rules changed for them to even play in their conference championship game, make it into the college football playoffs while a one loss Texas A&M team, who is the first one-loss SEC team not to make it into the playoffs, uh, get le- gets left out. Um, what what I think you're missing, Alex, is that shorter-term look at it, it uh, that long-term look at it. it I don't think it's going to fix it immediately by expanding it to eight and having that new format in place. But if you're guaranteeing those spots in the playoffs to those conference championships, you're going to get more parity with recruits because if they can go in, win a conference championship, and earn a spot in the college playoffs regardless of what conference they're in, I think you're going to get more high-end recruits going to different conferences because of it. You're going to get, you're going to get more competition too over See, time. because I don't agree with that at all because if that were the case, that ought to be happening. Because if you go to another team, you go undefeated in the Big 12 or in the Big 10 or in the goes, Pac-12. It kind of goes back to the, nat, to, the, to the basketball national tournament. The case I always make for that is at the beginning of the season in basketball, most, most schools out there, they know I have a small chance of winning a national championship. In this case, and if you include the Power Fives and three at-large bids, I agree with you. We just need we need to expand it larger. Like if you go to one through twenty four, then yes, let's do that. But for the case of power fives versus, uh, or for the case of power fives and uh, your three at large, you make it more competitive over time with that too. Because if you guarantee the spot for the power five champions and three at large, 
then those those schools and those conferences they will recruit better and they will you know be more competitive over time because kids will want to compete for a national championship they know if i go to a power five school and, and we win if i go to a good school and we win i have a chance to comp- potentially compete for a national championship one day it's not just going to be oh if you do, if you don't play for alabama if you don't play for Clemson, if you don't play for whoever it is, you don't have a chance. You just oh, See, you're the problem go is, is you can go to SEC or S, uh, South Carolina uh, University of Southern Carolina, right? Trojans. You can go there. Go to USC. There you go. Win out. Win the Pac-12. Go undefeated, and you will be in the college football playoffs. That will happen now. That that the only problem, the only reason it doesn't happen now is because they don't go undefeated. They don't win that many games. Nobody wins that many games. You're asking to create more parity for teams who don't win as much. And then if you want to say it has to be conference champions, all right, then Ohio State's in and Texas A&M isn't because they won their championship. They won their conference championship. The way to create more parity is to take away scholarships. That's not a punishment, but if you go from 85 to 70, guys can't stock scholarships. They can't stock players and get four corners when they don't need them, get four offensive tackles when they don't need them, just to make sure other guys don't. Because you're also talking about recruiting, and you that's a skill. Coaches have a skill. Recruiting is a skill. Recruiting Nick is Saban is a great college coach because he's a great recruiting coach. Yeah. Same with Dan Mullen. That's what happens. That's why guys go to the pros and are terrible because they're not good as recruiting because that's not a thing in the, the NFL. Nick Saban is not a good NFL coach, but he's an amazing college coach because he understands recruiting is more important. Jim Harbaugh is not the best recruiter, but he was a great NFL coach. Great. He was a very good NFL coach. It's a different kind of game. Take away the scholarships. Don't let 85 scholarship kids sit at Alabama and never play because they have fucking the Derrick Henry's of the world coming into Alabama because they get recruited there because why wouldn't you recruit them? Plus if you have more to offer, then you have more to offer. It's not my fault. You know what I mean? If Alabama and Texas state are vying for the same kid, it doesn't matter if he gets a chance to go to the playoffs with somebody else. He's going to go to Alabama because they have the best shot at winning. 15 minutes. Last doctor. Go ahead. All right. So I got one more thing to say on yours. If you go 24 teams, you're adding five, you're having five weeks of playoffs and logistically they can't do that for player safety. You can't do that not for college. So then why does the FCS do that? They play the same amount of games in the regular season and then have all of those playoff games. It can happen. You can do it. How does high school football do, do it? (laughs) Everybody does it. NFL does it. Everybody does it. I'm sure the FBS is the only one who doesn't. Alex has four. Okay, so there's one more game in high school, or one more game, and there's also a lot less teams, Kevin. (laughs) True. All right, yeah, because you have only what four, eight, twelve teams at most that would ever make it to fourteen this year. Fourteen this right this year, but twelve usually, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right, Dr. Ashley here. I totally forged my own paperwork. I didn't even get a degree. I didn't even print it out. I just lied my way into the building. So. And the lie was for freaking 
Texas State uh, radio school over in El Paso. I don't even think it's that. I don't even think it had that much of a name. Uh, so I think this is like from the desk of you know my dad, who just decided I was going to be a doctor one day. Uh, so I'm doing Southampton. I'm a shithead, baby. <laughs> Uh, it's actually a good movie. Explosion of flavor. Uh, okay, so I was looking about at... my wiener. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm looking at soccer. The U.S. wants to be competitive at everything. Literally everything. We want to be the best at everything, right? And we are not the best at soccer. We are so far behind many, many, many countries, neighboring countries, but Canada, Mexico is decades ahead of us right now, right? And there's a few problems with the way that we're doing it. We're not developing talent the way we need. We're not developing talent in the States. We're not even developing talent as a whole. And the biggest killer of our talent is college soccer. If the U.S. wants to be a better soccer nation, every college needs to cut soccer from their program. At least men's soccer. Women's soccer is a little bit different. We're already light years ahead of everybody else because we have the freest country, one of the freest countries, and we have the most women athletes in the world. That's why we dominate in a lot of like Olympic sports. We just have more women athletes per capita. In every other country, there are more male soccer players per capita in other countries than there are in the United States, and we're fucking huge, right? Couple things. Number one, it wouldn't even be a problem for the school to cut men's soccer because they're not making money on it anyway. Matter of fact, I think a lot of the reasons why they use it is maybe for notoriety at best, just to get more scholarships, more kids to come into the door. They're really just looking for government handouts for the most part. They're looking to get that money in, but the problem is they're not getting money in for soccer. They're getting money in for football and then passing it on to somebody else. And we saw that this year when a lot of programs had to cut or a lot of schools had to cut programs because football wasn't being played and they didn't have the money to pay for it anymore. So it would save the school money. But here's the problem. When kids are not dedicated to soccer alone, they will not improve at the same rate everybody else does. Overseas, what happens is clubs, right, like Manchester United or Barcelona, will have teams all the way down to three or four of you. That means that there are kids who are three or four years old who are signing professional contracts to play for clubs. And they played at three to four U, and then five, six, and then seven, eight, and nine, 10, and 11, 12. And then they play for their youth academies. And they play for their youth academies until they move up into their senior academies or into their senior team. And then they're a backup on the senior team. And then they're a starter. Some kids are so good, they just surpass a lot of these things. Guys like Messi, who was so good growing up in Argentina, where all he did was play soccer who got signed by Barcelona when he was a young in 16, 17, 18, and it became the world's best soccer player after that. The problem is, is that kids are not focused on soccer in the States, and the reason is, is because our goal is to make it to play in college as opposed to play in a dedicated soccer academy. Uh, SAFC, club here in San Antonio, 
had our very first homegrown player who played all the way from like five, six U who now plays for the senior team, who's a starter on SAFC. And he's probably one of the best ones that we have right now because all he did was play soccer. Cristiano Ronaldo went to a school that was soccer specific. They learned everything else, but all that school did, everybody who went there played soccer for that school. It was a soccer school who just also happened to teach high school. The focus was soccer. You had a couple hours of education and then you went back to soccer because the goal is, is for you to be a soccer player. Now the thing is like, oh, it's scary because you need a degree. Here's the thing. There are soccer all over the world. There are more jobs playing soccer in the world than there are jobs in the United States. I would think. Maybe not. Maybe that's an exaggeration. But if you look at how many teams are just in the... Okay. Well, I'll look it up later. How many jobs are in a single club? But there are a ton of people who work for individual clubs. And there are a ton of clubs just in England alone. There are tons. If the U.S. wants to be a better soccer nation, we need to cut soccer from schools and college immediately. It would be no cost to the school. They're not losing anything. It's not exactly a notable thing in the first place. Nobody cares about the ACC championship with Florida State playing the Tar Heels and Florida State winning 2-1. to one. Women's, by the way. Nobody cares about you know, Sacramento State playing the main Black Bears. Nobody cares. Most kids don't even necessarily get drafted when they play there anyway. Right? They go play in academies. They go play elsewhere. We want to be better. Cut schools. Cut soccer in schools. Don't make the goal playing in college. Make the goal playing for a club where they have dedicated people just to make them better, to move them up to their senior team because they're looking out for the best interest of that club. Have them get paid early on. Make it a job for them. Give them a way of life. Make clubs more important. Manchester United, billion-dollar industry. They didn't do that because all their kids went to college. They did that because they found kids at 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12 years old, and they developed them all the way up to their senior team. If we want to be better, we need to create a culture that's club-specific. If we can create a club-specific culture in the United States, we will develop talent better. All of our talent won't leave, and more talent will come here. That will make us a better nation at soccer as a whole. And then we can go on. That's how Mexico does it. That's how everybody else does it. You join a club at their youth levels, and you go on from there. So obviously, Kevin and I don't have as much knowledge in this subject as you do. But I will just say two things. What that I was thinking of while you were while you were talking and stating your stating your point. Um, more like that. What? I said ranting more like it. Yeah, um, I'm not a fan of taking away those scholarship or even you know opportunities just in general for those student athletes. If you say just take away the just take away the soccer programs in general for men for men's sports in in all of college like i don't know that seems a little harsh for just to you know because that's because I mean, you don't really know what every what every kid is going through in life and they they you know they may need those opportunities just to kind of get away from home just to you know get their education uh plain and simple i mean really it's you know 
at that point you're making it all about soccer and you you know you tell them sorry you can't go play in college if you want to go to college you have to go on your own way or find another way but i just don't like that i just don't like that the idea of taking away that opportunity for them to play soccer real quick out of my own curiosity do you know how many kids start soccer like in a game how many kids are on the field at one time for one team i don't 11 do you know how many scholarships the average d1 program has for a soccer team 9.9 wow that means at least one kid, not including every backup, has to pay their own way in the first place. You're still taking away opportunities, but anyways, the other thing, I, the only, the other thing that I fear, you're, not. you're just transferring it from school to a club where you're going to get paid to play. Yes, but I fear, like, yes. if you, I fear if you started earlier in life, like you, you, you run the risk of burning kids out. Like if you, if you tell them, like. See, but this is the problem. That's a, you're feeding into the problem. We say don't do it. It's too much. And yet Cristiano Ronaldo started at seven years old at a school specifically for soccer. This is why we won't develop them. See, I don't disagree with you on this, Alex. I don't. Uh, but I think you're going to have one big problem changing, and that's you mentioned you got to change the culture. And we're not talking about the culture of the views on soccer. You're talking about the culture of Americans in general. Um, because one of the biggest things that the United States has that no other country in the, really, in the world can really compete with is football. And right now in the United States, football is king. In order to, to change the dynamic of what you're suggesting, I think you need to change that mindset of football is king in America. And I don't see that happening anytime soon towards soccer. Yes, soccer is growing, but I don't know if you can change that mindset. I can see how it works in, in Europe. I mean, you got Manchester United, you got Barcelona, you got the two uh, wealthiest franchises in the world. But as a whole, soccer in the United States it's way overshadowed by American South football. And yeah, that's... You're muted. And I agree. Right now, football is king, and I, there's no question about that. And I don't think it'll ever really not be king, to be quite honest with you. But I think the reason soccer is so underlooked is because there are no big stars in soccer. We wait for other guys like Zlatan to come over, David Beckham to come over caught to come over right we look at all these other guys but they're already developed somewhere else now we're developing young guys weston mckinney uh, uh, christian pulisic right timothy way who plays for one of the biggest clubs in europe he plays for psg if we said look and you what we can do if the reason you're going to college is to 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 get a free scholarship and then go play in the pros is i can start paying you money now to play you can be the best player on the field because of your athletic ability. You can be a starter every day because of your ability. And then instead of just playing for here, you can play anywhere in the world that you want to and for more money and for longer. Guys in soccer are getting $81 million contracts for like three years, especially in China. 
if you show what the actual incentives are to playing the sport and make it more of a focus, I'm telling you, more kids will play because it's a quicker way to make money. There's a soccer player who's like amazing, plays for Argentina, right? He hates soccer. The only reason he's doing it is to, to make ends meet to get his family out of poverty. Because there's more money to be made in soccer, especially internationally, than anywhere else. We have the money in the States to do it. We just don't yeah, want to yet. You said he hates it. Do you want to do that for, for the younger generation? Do you want to start him at Here's such a, a secret. Football players, some of them hate football, too. Fair. <laughs> Not every guy who plays a sport loves the sport. I agree. I mean, oh, with the overall idea... You probably probably should do that if you want to build the culture, and I and I agree with you both. Soccer is never going to be king over football, is not in our lifetimes at least, but not in the states at least. Yeah, not in the states. But if you want to start building that culture, then yeah, probably take away you know college programs. Not that I'm a fan of that, but it's probably the best way to do it. But yeah, I just fear. I I just have that fear of burning kids out that's my only thing and and taking away the scholarship opportunities but that's it kevin any last thoughts got like no time but any last thoughts <laughs> yeah i wouldn't be worried about burning the kids out because it's proven in europe my biggest question is culture american culture all right well that was the doctor uh Three very different prognosis, but or three di- very different diagnoses. But, anyways, that was fun. Thanks, Alex. Uh, the email is double a sports show at gmail.com if you want to contribute to the show at all. Uh, we do also have a Patreon as well if you want to contribute on that level. Um, I don't know when this will be out, so I'm just going to say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays again to all of our family and friends out there, everyone that listens to us. We truly appreciate you. Um, continue to be good to yourself and be good to each other out there. Uh, don't drink and drive, don't text and drive. Be safe, please. Wear a mask. And with that, we'll see you later. Peace. See ya.